Hello and welcome to Dynasty As They Want to Be, a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host, Kyler K. Jafari. Hi, Kyler. We just got back from seeing a major motion picture about the life of Elton John called Rocket Man. What did you think of the film? I thought it was going to be about Kim Jong-un. You don't like my Rocket Man joke? No. <laughs> Inappropriate. <laughs> um, a dad joke about Rocket Man is very off-putting to me. No, that's a Trump joke about Rocket Man. Oh, that's anyway. even worse. Um, so, no, you start. You tell me. What did you think? Obviously, I went in and I was just kind of comparing it to Bohemian Rhapsody, and I thought it was much better. Which is inevitable, right? That's what everybody's going to compare it to. Yeah, and I was one of those people that wasn't a big fan of Bohemian Rhapsody. I liked what Remy Malik did, but as a film itself, I was very eh on the whole thing. But this, this film was great. I thought, you know, there were some musical elements in there that were a little strange, but fun. Uh, I thought, Ter- I thought well, that was because they were trying to just make a Broadway musical. And yeah, it just but turned it into a movie somehow. Yeah, but they, they didn't go that far with it. So it was just these little dramatic flourishes that would just happen. Just you wait. The Broadway night. musical's coming, I bet. Maybe. And I thought Taron Edgerton, Ed, Taron Edgerton did an awesome job as Elton John. I actually liked him more as Elton John than I did Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury. Ooh, hot take. But I was most into the fact that they were able to work in every damn iconic outfit that Elton has ever put yeah, on Yeah, forget his the body. songs. They, they managed to figure out every outfit. And that's what I thought was uh, the most fascinating thing about the film production. Yeah, no, it looked really amazing. You know, they just, yeah, the, the costume designer totally nailed it. And um, Taron Edgerton wore it well. <laughs> it was just so funny that when you think they're going to skip over a lot of his outfits there's like i think it was when he was singing pinball wizard where it's just cutting to one after the other after the other after their other and they managed to fit in like 20 it's outfits right. here's in one song. here's your full elton john wardrobe montage yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah i really liked it and i hope people go and see it the one fear that i do have about this film and then coming off of bohemian rhapsody too is that i don't want any more like queer rock pop star biopics <laughs> I, I hate to ask how many more could there be but i guess you could dig pretty deep in that pocket basically what i'm saying is i don't want to see david bowie's legacy tarnished with one of these similar type films well I'm, we've been wondering like when is the david bowie biopic going to come never you know? hopefully never hopefully i hopefully I, that gets tied up in rights forever yeah. Yeah, I don't need to see that and I don't need to see a Prince biopic either. You know, let let it let it be. That's the Beatles, but you know what I mean. The sentiment's well, I don't, the same. I think Prince is queer friendly or maybe even queer adjacent, but he's not. No, 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 yeah, yeah obviously he's not um not actually queer. I mean, although I guess it depends on your I definition. I, I don't he, want to define anybody and he's not here to define himself. Well, and I, and think, I think that was the point. He never wanted to. So. Yeah. And I think that is more in line with the definition of queer, you know, something that's non-binary. But see, what gets Prince, lost in all this is like the music, right? And I think that's why partly we don't want the David Bowie biopic. I mean, the music is more than enough. Who cares? Right. You know? I mean, he was making 
a biopic his whole life. And Prince was too, to a certain extent. Um, so I don't need to see somebody portraying them. I don't want to dream cast it. You know, this film was great because Elton's still around. He had a say in it. And, you know, but he's also willing to show the the bad parts of his life. and Well, and, the bad parts of his personality too. Mm-hmm. Or at least the behaviors, right? Don't blame the person, blame the behaviors. Speaking of gay icons, it's now uh, June. Pride Month has begun. And um, we have maybe somebody who's not considered a gay icon, but we do get a big gay storyline in this week's Dynasty episode, which I'm excited to talk with you about. Should we take a break and then start getting into this episode? I think we should. Welcome back. I forgot to add, we are um, drinking some white wine. Is this an amusing Alsatian a la Cecil Colby? Tres amusant white wine, yes. I <laughs> I think it's funny because uh, we think of the 80s and we don't think of white wine, right? We think of like... Oh, I do. Like a white wine spritzer? Well, that's what I was going to say, a white wine spritzer. But anyway, so I, I just think it's funny that uh, he's talking about this amusing white wine, which happens to be Alsatian, I guess just in the throwaway dialogue. Um, this is from Friuli, which is the Northeast region in Italy where all of the best Pinot Grigios are made. This isn't a wine podcast, so we don't need to go too right, deep into right, it. Right. So I need to start off this with a bit of a rant. The episode title is Fallon's Wedding. And I got excited, even though we literally just had a wedding a couple of weeks ago, I thought there was going to be maybe not a huge Carrington style wedding, but I thought there would be some sort of nuptials depicted on screen. So the whole episode, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. There's no fucking wedding in this episode. Why did they title it Fallon's Wedding? Well, I don't know. Is that the actual title? Because I know... Yes, the actual title of the episode is Fallon's Wedding wedding no i i wasn't expecting anything at all because we all knew that this was a business deal and i rather like that they just get married in vegas which i guess is supposed to be like funny i don't know if that was like a a joke or a gag you don't actually see any kind of wedding there's no big production it's the opposite sort of of uh, blake and crystal's wedding although theirs was sort of a business deal too i think so i don't know there's there's contrast and comparison there i think but i i didn't think we were going to get a big wedding out of this yeah i thought we would be able to just see something i mean even if they are getting hitched in vegas could they have rented like a slot machine and filmed a scene in front of that i don't know i wanted to see a little more i could have taken that over some of these like trailer side oil stuff scenes that we got like uh, toward the end of the episode that we're kind of drawn out and yeah we spent a lot of time in this episode in that damn trailer next to the oil rig but let's talk about the more exciting aspects of the episode first with steven he gets a phone call at the carrington mansion from a man named ted who is apparently his former lover (laughs) i mean i don't know is it supposed to be that salacious i I guess just just be the fact that this is on screen at the time is like already scandalous, you know? Yeah. Um, well, Steven seems really embarrassed about receiving this phone call. Ted. I like I like how Blake asks him, like, who was on the phone? Like, who goes around asking you who you were just on the phone with? That, that's that's such a an invasive question, I feel like. Well, Blake Carrington's a nosy bitch. So that kind of didn't surprise me. What did surprise me is that Stephen did not seem happy to hear from him at all. So we kind of pick up Ted 
and Steven were living together in New York and he's in Denver on business and wants to see Steven. And Steven doesn't seem that into it, but he does tell him some sort of hole in the wall restaurant bar to meet him at on the outskirts of town what do you think of ted you know i don't know i want to like ted he's okay and i don't know if it's the actor or the character he seems a little too eager uh, and maybe he's just more and i don't know I, we should discuss the their their relationship because i'm not sure how i feel about the portrayal of these two you know as far as ted goes to your point i i think he's a little bit more accepting of his reality but I don't know if that's just because who knows what his background is. And he lives in New York and, you know, I don't know. Well, the way that it's depicted, it's been like Stephen is a self-hating homosexual who may not right. have really fully embraced that part of his life. But he was living, shacking up in an apartment on Perry Street with this tech well, okay. guy who works so now that advertising. Now that we're talking about that, I'm, I'm glad we're having this because at the time I was watching this a couple of ways and I just could not get to the bottom. The Ted character is almost like made out to be a little bit predatory. And I don't think, I think that's subtext. I don't think that's the dialogue. I don't think that's the acting, but it's like, he's the one chasing him. He's coming to Denver on fake business, but really just because he wants to, you know, get back together with Steven and Steven's on the other end, like, you know, oh, was he corrupted or, you know, he's like not really sure if he's really feeling this way going forward or if he's really into men or he's just trying to find himself. And so I don't, yeah, I, and there's something unsettling about this relationship between the two of them. And I think maybe just it's the historical context of that time period. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. I didn't really see that into it. I was just thinking that Steven wasn't fully accepting of himself. But yeah, maybe he's not fully accepting of himself because he's still figuring himself out. How old is Steven anyway? Do we know? Has that, has that ever been I'm not sure if that was established. I mean, if I had to guess, he looks 30, so I'm assuming 20. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking he's out of college. He's graduated. It doesn't seem like he's held a job down. So yeah, maybe he's supposed to be early, mid-20s. So yeah, maybe he's still figuring it out and that's what it is. To me, it seems like he's lying to himself and he's lying to Ted. But I could just be putting my own feelings on top of it. Well, I think that's maybe that's the problem here. We're both sort of struggling with the relationship between the two of them. I, th I think ultimately it's just it was sloppy writing. Maybe that's all it is. Yeah. So in this bistro, they have this heart to heart. Steven says he's not coming back to New York. He's kind of over it. And sorry, Ted. I'm, I'm just not that into you. Ted. I've got to be honest with you. I'm not particularly interested. It's not that important to me. And Ted has a really hard time accepting that. And Stephen gets up to leave and then dum, 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 zoom over the restaurant. And this guy, Eddie, the oil roustabout is like, he's over there having dinner with, with his old lady and just sort of like, he's got this sly grin, like, oh, I've got the goods now, you know? Yeah. He's totally seen what is slightly romantic if that encounter between Steven and Ted and this Eddie guy is obviously somebody we don't know he's been introduced in this episode as somebody who works with Steven on the oil rig at the Lancashire Blaisdell 
establishment and he's um just kind of an asshole yeah well he's that typical like you know corn-fed you know sort of backwoods stereotype and I, I like that image like when he's in the trailer eating steven's chocolates it's this sort of like incongruous thing you know <laughs> like like drag queens in the forest like here's this this podunk eating fancy chocolates from harrods yeah and how did <laughs> how did chocolates from harrods end up in denver i don't anyway? know we I, we need to get to the bottom of that one because like i think it's supposed to imply she went to you know on a jet plane with blake to london on the weekend or something but, oh okay. but obviously that's Cheek. not you know that's just left for us to assume i think as you would imagine late one night at the oil rig trailer eddie reveals to everybody there matthew blaisdell walter lancashire and other oil rigging types that he believes that Steven is a, in his words, prevert. <laughs> right. He's a prevert. <laughs> Which is like that classic stereotypical, you know, uneducated way to say it, right? Yeah. And so Matthew Blaisdell kind of comes to Steven's defense a little bit. And then Eddie, the roustabout oil rigger, makes fun of Claudia Blaisdell for being in the nut house. And then a wild action fight scene all over that tiny trailer ensues with the most comical slapping punching sound effects I think I've ever heard. It, I, I it was will say, all... the fight scene was actually well choreographed, but everything else about <laughs> it is a total cliche. I mean, you've got the, the broken beer bottle. Yeah, the sound is bad. It sounded like a Popeye cartoon. Well, I, you know, if they weren't playing it for laughs, I'd say that was a choice. But yeah, clearly the Foley artist was out on vacation that day. Yeah, or the Foley artist went on vacation and was using like coconuts and rum bottles and crazy apparatuses to make those sounds. Anyway, Matthew Blaisdell goes out, has a little chat with Steven overlooking the oil rig. and Overlooking the oil rig. <laughs> it's like this romantic sunset. Well, what better place to come out than overlooking a big old Derek? So, yes, yeah, Steven tells Matthew that he is a homosexual and he's probably well, Wait, of does it. he or does he just say he's had those feelings before and he's not sure about himself now? Yeah, maybe. I think maybe we're a little fuzzy on that one. I don't remember, but. Yeah, maybe he is, maybe that's. The problem is, is it's the subject matter is treated with such kid gloves, understandably at this time, that we're not even sure what Steven really is feeling about this you know yeah and sexuality is a spectrum so maybe he doesn't feel you know like he's a 10 out of 10 on the scale i'm not ashamed of it it was what happened for nearly a year between between us i'm not ashamed of it i want to stay on here if it's all right with you matthew is accepting i guess yeah I, I appreciate that matthew is a sort of very even-handed you know moderate middle you know he's not really making a decision or taking a side right i mean eddie is just calling everybody a prevert anybody he can in that trailer is a prevert eddie's what we would call a flat character eddie is what we would call an asshole <laughs> okay I, I would argue assholes has at least assholes have at least two dimensions but that's fine what do you mean cheeks sure well then there's like a third dimension in the between right? so. <laughs> yeah well we'll have to 
ask Steven and Ted about that. Um, who did you think was the top and who did you think was the bottom? Oh, God. I, I knew you were going to bring up this dumb question. That's, that's <laughs> such bait. I mean, I was wondering that because at this time, were people just assuming there was a top and a bottom, as it were? Or were they just trying to depict them as two people having a romantic relationship just the way men and women do? I don't know what the writers were going. Again, I think the writing is a little bit, it's, there's no underpinning to it. So I'm not really sure what to think about these two or their relationship. And I don't know, tops and bottoms. Was that even a thing yet? I mean, as far as the terminology, maybe it was underground, but I don't think the average audience at home watching Dynasty at 8 p.m. back then was like thinking that, you know? Oh, yeah. No way. And I mean, this is the early 80s, late 70s. So maybe everybody was just verse back then. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I and mean, again, to your point, we also don't really know how old anybody is because it's impossible to tell with the way they look. Ted could be actually portrayed as an older sort of character which is common sometimes in in gay relationships where there's an older guy and a younger guy so that could be the oh, dynamic not here. like blake carrington and crystal being you know he's older and she's touche touche come on so speaking of blake and crystal the episode actually started with them in bed in full nightwear and blake is frantically on what i thought was a phone and then the camera angle pulls out and there's two phones Next to each Life other. was very hard back then. If you wanted to be a successful businessman, you needed a lot of rotary dial all around the house, <laughs> including a hot line. Yeah. Not a hot line, but a hot line. Yeah. So, if that distinction makes any sense. Yeah. So, he's on the phone with his accountant or the bank or somebody who is wondering if Cecil Colby is really going to bail out Carrington Oil. You know, last week he threw this whole dinner party to try to salvage his business since all of the oil is tied up in the Mideast. Of course Colby is my friend. No, no I don't. I don't trust him any more than he trusts me in this. Because he has the heart of a rattlesnake and the soul of a street walker, if it served his purpose to cut me off, he would... Hold on up here. I've got a call on my hotline. Yes. The hotline rings and the money transfer went through. Now, as we remember, this whole deal is based on Fallon marrying Jeff Colby. That's the only reason Cecil Colby really wants to help bail out Carrington because he thinks Fallon would be the perfect wife for his young Republican nephew, Jeff. Sorry, I just... I, I just keep tittering over the image of Blake Carrington with a hotline. And it's like operators are standing by. <laughs> like, I don't know why it's funny. It just It's the same thing as like uh, Cecil Colby baking cookies. <laughs> like, well, what, why would you need... Who gets the hotline number? Like, what is the hotline for and what's the regular line for? I mean, I think if we wanted to be like, I don't know, like historical or whatever, I suppose there was such a thing as a phone that you know you could call and somebody was guaranteed to answer it and it was reserved for important information to be communicated. I don't know. Oh, so it's like the bat phone. Sort of, yeah. Got it. Anyway, after all of these phone conversations, the Carringtons are having breakfast downstairs in the dining room, which I didn't realize the dining room was right next to the grand staircase. It doesn't seem like such great feng shui to me. Well, it's across from the staircase, right? Right, but the I staircase just like leads right into the, the dining room where they're having 
fruit and coffee and croissants for breakfast. And Fallon is kind of goading Crystal. I, I think they're just having bitchy moves between each other. I don't know. There's there's a lot of like Noel Coward, like nasty dialogue. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we left off on last week's episode where Fallon threatened Crystal because she overheard Matthew Blaisdell reveal that, reveal that he still loves her. But Fallon was kind of being coy. It was a bit of a cat and mouse game between her and Crystal. And Crystal, to her credit, sort of stood up for herself and was like, oh, do you want to reveal who the yeah, hell I liked that. I, I'm glad that you called out this point. This is, to me, one of the singular moments in this scene because it also aligns with the scene later where she's talking to Cecil in the drawing room or whatever that room is. And again, she like finds these moments where she actually has to assert herself mm-hmm. and she comes through. Like She's not this... like you know, simpering wallflower that's just a trophy wife for Blake. Yeah, we're really seeing this progression in Crystal's personality, and I'm loving it. Afterwards, Fallon heads to Colby Co., which is actually now, <laughs> I think it's Italy in Century City in Los Angeles. Well, I, I, that sounds fun. I think that building is actually still there, correct? Because that's on the other side of... The Century City Mall? I don't remember. Yeah, Uh, it's the Westfield Headquarters building, which is connected to the Century City Mall. So it was very noticeable where she was going. Yeah, and Michael, the chauffeur, drives her there. And God, this guy is so annoying. Well, first of all, he's a bad driver. Right. He's just like... (laughs) He's rocking that wheel back and forth. Back and forth. (laughs) The good ship lollipop. Yeah, he's going down a perfectly straight street, yet his hand is flipping around like he's a DJ on the ones and twos. It's ludicrous. I mean, obviously, he's just... Well, at this point, I pretty much just view his character as a foil for Fallon to say fun, bitchy things. Listen, about tonight, I got a date. Pay her the $10 and enjoy. That'll be the day. Then Fallon goes up to meet with Cecil Colby, who offers her as uh, we're paying homage to an amusing Alsatian wine that he just got a case Amusing of. white wine. We're not told it's Alsatian until a little bit later, which, I mean, whatever, but... Right, and so Cecil proceeds to give her this sort of like Machiavellian, you know, pep talk about we would be great in bed, basically, but not for business. And that's why you need to marry my nephew, not me. Yeah, and we do get confirmation that the two of them apparently had hot sex one night. All the flash and fire. Yeah. <laughs> we got. I got to quit saying that dumb line. <laughs> yes. But yeah, there's no way out of this deal. He says she has to do it. It doesn't matter how hot she is. Well, yeah, this is business. Ass. I mean, this is a contract. And she needs to fulfill her end of the obligation mm-hmm. over a nice Alsatian on some ugly green tufted leather furniture in Cecil's office. Yeah, let's talk about the interior design of the offices in this episode. We get to see Blake Carrington's office again, which we've seen Which before. is like 11 out of 10, love. <laughs> What's your favorite part of Blake Carrington's office? It's, it's just got a, a general broad sleekness of, you know of that time it's it's a little bit 70s to 80s transitional but it's modern it's clean lines there's a lot of gray yeah there's a little a bit of mauve worked in in just the right places uh-huh. there's some brass and glass very you know. curvy he's got well, this curvy but straight it's, it's straight desk. with curvy corners you know so it's not like 
Yes. And it's not ergonomic necessarily, but Oh, like, no way. Y- you Nothing might is... you might poke yourself if you sit down in a chair. I don't think anything is ergonomic in this show whatsoever. In fact, I don't even know if that word was actually a word that was invented just yet. It's a big contrast to Cecil's office, which is very kind of 70s with wood. It's super 70s. It's like Telly Savalas' office from like Kojak. It's like it's left over from 10 years ago. You've got the, the, they're not Chesterfield sofas, but they're like overstuffed and over tufted in a shade of green, hideous, and like clearly from the 70s. Yeah, I just watch the scenes in that office and I just can smell the cigar smoke coming off of the screen. Even though I'm sure it's a set and nobody was smoking cigars in there, well, right? Maybe, maybe after hours. Well, and it's just it's just a dark, and it's not even really overbearing. It's just sort of like badly decorated and dark, you know. But then you get to she goes downstairs after she's finished up her you know business meeting with Cecil, as it were. She goes downstairs to uh, Jeff's office, right? And she's got to make the remarks about, oh, it's not like Cecil's office. Yes, it's much smaller. I don't think there's any windows, and he has... The plants are two feet shorter. (laughs) They make a point of... uh, I don't know why, but... And he has a very ugly painting. A tacky painting, as it were. Which I'm just thinking, well, but wait, what about the ugly artwork over Cecil's bar in in the office we were just in? I mean, that was, to me, tackier, but... What about any of the art anywhere in any sets of the show? It's all tacky. You're right. Everything in this show is dreck, so let's just move on. (laughs) So she goes down and starts kind of cuddling up to Jeff, realizing she has no choice, and offers to whisk him away for lunch. Jeff is a little bit hesitant because he's got meetings, but he just can't deny Pamela Sue Martin's charms and uh, and agrees to go to lunch with her. The two of them go back downstairs and she informs Michael that he won't need to drive her home. Weirdly, after that, he goes back into Colby Co. For some reason, I did not understand. And then he proceeds to hit on Cecil Colby's secretary. This, she's, the scene totally comes out of left field. It, he made he had no look, reason to go I, back into the office, and then he's flirting with the secretary. I think for, this this chauffeur character has got to go. I, he's not serving any purpose for me in the story. And by the way, he's supposed to be like some sex pot for her, like for Fallon. And I'm not buying that at, at all, like in any way. Like, have they even had a sex scene? Maybe they have. I don't remember. I think in the first episode, um, that's the last time we've seen. But their... the two of them don't have any chemistry anyway, so it doesn't matter even if they did have a sex scene. And like, and so I'm just I'm not here for this this storyline with the chauffeur. Well, yeah, not to mention how annoying he was going to the bank after he overhears a conversation Blake Carrington's having on the rotary phone in the back of the limo. And he takes it upon himself to get Matthew Blaisdell and Walter Lankersham's credit cut because they still haven't agreed Which to give up it's, the leases. It's kind of like, come on now, can you really even do that? Not even back then. I, that's considered organized crime at a certain level, right? Well, he even says he saw it in a gangster movie, and that's why he was doing <laughs> right. that. But it's just like, so he's not sexy. Fallon has no interest in him. 
he's flirting with British secretaries and then he's going behind Blake Carrington's back. He's not doing well, anything for me to either root for this him. This is one or of those characters me. that's I'm always interested to know is the writer trying to make me hate this character this much or is it just it's just bad writing that's gone off the rails because I think they're setting something up with this secretary and him going behind Blake Carrington. Maybe but right back. now I'm not enjoying the show when he's around. No. And it's not it the comes actor to it's a grinding the, the, character is just yeah it's yeah the show comes to a grinding stop which is funny because he's playing a driver so he should be you know pushing the gas pedal but he's definitely not i don't really care about him i i hope he wrecks the car and he probably would the way he drives swerving that wheel around I think one of the most chilling scenes in this episode is when Cecil Colby and Crystal Carrington are enjoying a nice brandy by the fire. I guess like an afternoon brandy is uh, what's going on. Well, you're introduced to the brandy with this lovely helicopter pan shot all over Filoli House or whatever. And then it like does very nice soft focus into a gleaming brandy glass at the fireplace. Mm, put the money on the screen. <laughs> um and, you know, I'm sure they're just drinking tea or something out of these glasses, but probably not. They're definitely delivering the tea, too. Oh, yes, honey. Yes, yeah, Cecil offers her a wedding gift, and she's like, But you already gave us a gift. And he's like, No, I got something else for you. I'm going to talk trash about Blake, and you can either take it or leave it. Essentially, he's saying to her that Blake is a hunter. And you always have to keep something. Oh yeah, we we get this away. like cornball metaphor with like the lions and the hunting and the the leader of the pride and um and it's just it's a little bit clumsy to me, but you know whatever. It's it's TV writing. It's fine. Hello there, Cecil. Oh, hi, Blake. They're just talking about you. All lies, I expect. Worse. The truth. Now, we are treated to another scene on the Carrington private jet, which is probably one of my favorite sets. I love it yes, when I somebody love this gets on the PJ and just hops somewhere. In this instance, uh, we didn't expect it, but I guess Jeff and Fallon hitched a ride on the PJ and are taking that somewhere to lunch. Yeah, and I'm, I'm wondering, like, would Blake Carrington improve of this use of his private jet? But oh, uh, it's foul. I, I guess he will once he finds wants. out the results, right? So. Yeah, I thought this was a really fun scene be- between. They were clearly playing it for laughs. I mean, mm-hmm. nobody could really think this is like great television, but it was fun to watch. Yeah, I think this was a really fun scene between Pamela Sue Martin and John James, kind of flirting. They'd obviously had a few drinks on the private jet. And they were playing a cassette tape, high-tech technology here on the Carrington Jet. And they were listening to the Carmen soundtrack. There's also a fax machine in the bathroom. Shut up. Mm-hmm. Wow. There's probably automatic lighters built into the wall, too, for your smoking your cigarettes on the plane. In case 12 people want to light a cigarette at the exact same time. That always happens on a plane. But yeah, it's really cute, and you can tell that Fallon is trying hard to be flirty with him. And this is it. This is the moment where they consummate their relationship. Yeah. I mean, she's, well, I don't know. Is that what's supposed to be implied by 
the fade to black at the end like we're missing the sex at at that point or yeah they kiss (laughs) he says i love you and then it fades to an exterior of the jet well that's that's appropriate for their soon to be marriage right like they screw before they get married not after so you know well there's nothing traditional about this courtship the fact that they join the mile high club before they actually walk down the aisle at the little white chapel in vegas is cool with me yeah, and the fact that we don't have to like deal with watching all that is even more cool with me. Oh yeah, no, I'm sure they're playing. The, the only thing I bigger. don't like more than courtroom scenes in soap operas is weddings. <laughs> I like wedding scenes. Well, I mean, they're ostensibly something to like, but I don't know. It's just like another one of those like you know fancy dress. Here's some flowers, lots of pomp and circumstance. But like, do I really need to like sit through another of these? You know. Yeah. Maybe that's how I feel at real weddings, too, by the way. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, the episode ends as it began with Blake and Crystal in bed. In bed. Only this time. Uh, and again. And this time it, with the lights off. But they're still wearing full dress clothes, like head to toe, robe, pajamas, slippers, everything. And they're awoken to a loud noise. And it's Fallon and Jeff celebrating their nuptials fresh off the excitement of their new marriage in vegas at the temple o love or wherever they went to get married now in 1981 would they have been married by an elvis impersonator i think that i think this might have been the height of that this would have been peak elvis impersonator marriage ceremony they may have been the first ever couple to be married by an elvis impersonator Well, okay, so Elvis died in 77. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think three, four years in, that would be about this. Yeah, maybe. I could see that. But again, we're not treated to that imagery just of the news, to which Blake and Crystal seem really happy about. I would be pissed if my daughter just ran off, took the PJ, and got well hitched in Vegas. Not to get lost on alternative realities, but like... That was what I was thinking when she was talking to Cecil about, oh, we should be getting married, not your nephew and me. And I'm just thinking, but what would Blake think about his daughter getting married to Cecil? He would burn all of Denver down. Right. Yeah, so Fallon and Blake hug, and then we see over the shoulder the look of fear in Pamela Sue Martin's eyes. And I'm just, my heart sinks because... Fallon doesn't want to do this, and she's so smart and self-assured and fashionable. I just think so much more could be there for her, but she's in this deal that she can't get out of. And the episode, once again, ends with to be continued. I swore it was not going to keep going, but continues to be continued at this point i think every episode is going to end with the to be continued so you know whatever that's fine on a on a note about the titles isn't this the first episode at least the one where we noticed that it turns yellow instead of white for the titles yeah i tried to look into that and find out some information about why the titles the iconic bars and lettering from the opening credits and the the post credits go from white the first few episodes to yellow, which is what we know for the rest of the run of the show, right? And I couldn't really figure it out. But yeah, for some reason, this episode, everything was yellow instead of white, which just pops way more on the screen. And you know what? Another thing I noticed, it's been several episodes since we've seen Lindsay 
the crazy teenage daughter of the Blaze. You know, girls. I was thinking about was she in the the title cards this time? I yeah, can't she's been in the title cards. And it, the whole I think time. she's been in like two or three that she's not actually in the episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. But meanwhile, like the driver gets his own billing, and like I can't stand the guy. Yeah, but he is in every episode because somebody needs. Well, because be somebody's got to ride around the Lincoln limo. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's good for this episode. Let's take a break and come back with our looks of the week. Welcome back. Okay, my look of the week is probably going to shock you. I'm glad that you've had a few glasses of amusing Alsatian wine. I want to say, I think Jeff Colby's day where his suit was my favorite look. I kept noticing that his suit fit really well. The tie was tied perfectly. You know, some of these guys, I've noticed mm-hmm. their ties aren't tied correctly in the show. And that's interesting, right? Because you've got people who get paid to do wardrobe. <laughs> and it's also, this is 35 years ago when people actually cared a lot more about dressing. Uh-huh. And yet you still get badly tied ties. Yeah. And, you know, his hair was great. It was blow dried perfectly. And I just thought... He looked really fashionable. And, you know, you think now how guys like to wear their suits more like slim fit and things look really well. And this is he, he would fit right in today if he was, you know, going into the office. I, I agree with your assessment there. I, I think it's hard to identify any, you know, men's clothing in any of these episodes. Although I think there may be some in the future. I don't know. But your thing about the slim fit, that is of this time period, but more on the younger side. Again, he's a yuppie. And so Mm -hmm. he's wearing these like tight fitted suits that look good and look good on him. And I think that's part of like the whole hipster movement that happened 10 and 15 years ago was we're just going to skip the late eighties through nineties when suits became very baggy and poorly cut on purpose and go back to this like really nice fitted, just thin proper look, you know? So I, I, I like your choice there. So what was your look of the week? It's it's a little tricky again. Uh, I really liked Fallon's outfit um, when she goes to Colby Co. She walks in and, and you know even the secretary says, I love your outfit. And I'm thinking, I don't love it, but I really like it. You know, And I, I think it's one of the stronger outfits uh, in this episode. It's this sort of like boxy, oversized, quintessential fuzzy sweater and an ivory. But it's got like a a nice low cut on the front so it's still got that you know like sexiness of of that time period going on even though it's like just an oversized sweater basically um and it's paired with some like nice open toe mid-heel you know white pumps with a gold back on them i don't know it's 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 sort of a nice clean put together but it's still a little bit of a statement as well and in an odd way it's bridal if you think about it and this is before she goes to meet jeff and get on the plane to vegas yeah well that's what i noticed about it is that it's white or maybe like a cream color even the purse that she pairs it with is white as well and this is the outfit that she chooses to wear to go to colby co and throw herself at cecil's mercy and try to so here's some more reverse marriage things going on they screw before the wedding and she's got the wedding dress on before the wedding well i think she just wanted to look very virginal and Mm -hmm. innocent and that's why she chose that outfit to go to colby co in that's what i thought 
But yeah, I thought that was a nice look too. But I don't know. Every time Jeff came on screen, you know, when he came over for breakfast, when he was at the office, I really just thought, you know what? He looks really great in that suit. And John James seems like a pretty tall guy. Do you know how tall he is? Does he? I don't know. I, I can't. You can never really tell on TV. I just Googled it and John James is six one, So he is okay. a tall feller. I guess that qualifies as tall. Of course, I don't think of that because I'm six one, but I suppose most people aren't as tall as I am. So Humble brag, humble yeah. brag, humble, humble brag. Humble, humble. We can cut that part out. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kyler, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Dynasty as They Want to Be. The pleasure was all mine. I didn't love this episode. I don't think either of us were really into it. The pacing of it was very peculiar but i am interested to see what happens now that jeff and fallon are officially m-a-r-r-i-e-d me too (laughs) well thank you for joining me i want to thank dj jugo for creating our amazing theme song and the artist Lindsay mound who designed our our logo and the graphics on our site which you can visit at nastypodcast.com that's n-a-s-t-y podcast.com you can also follow us along on social media we're at nasty podcast at all the places instagram twitter facebook and we'll see you next week where we're going to talk about the next episode which is titled the chauffeur tells a secret Ooh, Ooh. i really don't care but <laughs> i'm gonna watch bye bye